You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Michael Lichens here with your Catholic Exchange Podcast for the week. Today we're talking with Susan Johnson, author of the book, Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping. And that is a memoir of her struggle with bipolar disorder as a Roman Catholic. And that's what we're talking about today, so... This is a little uh, warning to all of you that we do dive into a few subjects such as suicide and just the experience of having mental illness, but really, this is a hopeful podcast, so I want to thank you all for joining us. If you have any questions or would like us to follow us up, EdericCatholicExchange.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. And Susan. I want to start out today by asking you about this particular phrase I read in your article I related to quite a bit. You said that living with bipolar disorder is like a roller coaster ride. Can you talk a little bit about that and what does it feel like to have that kind of roller coaster in your life? Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show today. I'm so excited to be here. And I love that question. No one has asked that yet. So kudos to you. Having bipolar disorder is definitely being on a roller coaster ride. If you don't know what bipolar disorder is, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain which causes extreme highs and extreme lows. So you are on a roller coaster. There are times in my life when I have been so incredibly high, it is unreal. Um, Things that I normally don't do, I found myself doing. My first taste of uh, being Mm -hmm. in a mania was on a cruise ship. When I was oh my 19 goodness. years old, it was wild. Uh, Had to be on a boat, huh? Yeah. It was, oh. it was crazy. And the opposite, unfortunately, are the lows. The lows are so low that 90% of people with bipolar disorder attempt suicide, unfortunately. Mm. And I have an uncle who has bipolar disorder. It's a genetic illness. Unfortunately, he suffers greatly, greatly with the suicidal thoughts and unfortunately has even put himself on a train track. And luckily, he is a survivor. Oh, thank God. Yes. Praise God. As for me, I have had thoughts of death, but I've never had a suicidal attempt, but I do know and understand suicide because there has been times in my life when dying feels easier than living. And I think that's something a lot of people who struggle with any, with many types of mental health can relate to. Uh, I have the very opposite of bipolar. I have what's called unipolar (laughs) depression, which means I don't really get the manic highs per se, but it's a frightening possibility. And like you, I had several family members who have taken their lives and it's, a heavy thing to jump into right away, I'll admit, for a podcast, but while just talking about that, do you find, like, what does the manic high usually feel like when you're going through that? Oh, it is amazing. On the cruise ship, I, okay, let me tell you, I am no dancer. I am no Paula Abdul, Mm -hmm. and I was (laughs) in a disco, and I grabbed this guy's hand, this young man, and I pulled him on Mm -hmm. the disco floor, and I told him I was going to teach him how to dance, and uh, that is not characteristic of me at all. So that's one of the things uh, that happened. I was up all night. I couldn't sleep. I had these grandiose 
thought um, it felt mm-hmm. like God was in the same room as me. It was just incredible. And I never wanted to come down from those feelings from, from that high. Mm-hmm. But when I got back from the cruise ship, my mom, who is a nurse who has taken care of the uncle that I mentioned that has bipolar, mm-hmm. um, knew exactly that I was in a manic state. And most, most people end up in the hospital in their first manias. I did not yeah. think only because mm-hmm. of the grace of God. I, when you're in that state, you don't feel sick. You know, why do you need to go to the hospital? Plus, I had a phobia of hospitals. So there was no mm. way I was going to the hospital. Uh, again, God worked. My mother found a psychiatrist who treated me in the office, and I began a mood stabilizer uh, known as lithium at that point. I was 19 years mm-hmm. old, 19 years old at the time. I mean, 19 is never an easy time for anybody. I don't know anybody that looks terribly fondly at that weird stage <laughs> when you're a teenager, but you're also an adult right? and you're expected to have responsibilities, but also be a kid. Yeah, it's, it's just hard. confusing and weird for everyone. Yeah, it really is. It's You're trying to find yourself. And I mm-hmm. struggled that with you know, through that with college as well. And that was very, very difficult. Um, I went to four colleges or was it five? I lose count in uh, four and a half years. And oh. it was just stress sets off the bipolar disorder. So, I mean, it was just, you know, oh, college is supposed to, oh, it's supposed to be the best time of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, it was such a struggle trying to get through it. And it was only because of God that I did. And definitely being a Catholic. To continue on that subject, you mentioned that even avoiding the hospital after your first mania was you attribute to the grace of God. So what role has faith played in helping you to live with bipolar disorder? I'd say everything. I am here because I am Catholic. All the sacraments have aided um, throughout this whole 20-year journey. Confession has been so big. If you read my book, um, you'll, you'll learn a little bit more about my journey. But I found myself in such dark places um, through so much sin that I have come um, to the Lord in confession and he has healed me. So that has just been amazing. To, to have that gift. You know, so many other Protestants, they don't have the sacraments that we have as Catholics. I have many mm-hmm. Protestant friends, and it's just, it's, it's so different. We are so blessed as Catholics. Is there one sacrament in particular that has really helped you in your life? Um, I think I just mentioned it, definitely confession, but I love time. Confession, yes. <laughs> I love time in the Adoration Chapel. That, to Mm. me, has just been amazing. I spend mm, not as much time as I'd like to on a weekly basis, but I think that people tend to forget we have the Adoration Chapel, and it's a beautiful part of our faith. You know, like I was saying, nobody else has that. We are Absolutely. We very much are. And uh, one of my fondest memories, I was actually very new to Catholicism when I started this, but there was a 24-hour adoration chapel. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm a night owl by nature, so mm-hmm. once a month, 3 a.m., one-hour adoration was honestly one of the most helpful mm-hmm. things I ever did for my overall health, and I can't recommend it enough to people. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, I have a goddaughter, and I just took her, she's eight, to the adoration chapel for the first time. And that was just, it was so special to be there with an eight-year-old. And we actually went, we have a really pretty chapel at my church, and I took her around to the Stations of the Cross, and she's a great reader, and she read them all. And, you know, we had to stay quiet, and then we prayed in front of the um, St. Teresa statue. We spent about five minutes, and then I took her to the yogurt land. So, oh, <laughs> what a lovely day. It was. Oh. It was. It was really special. I wanted to ingrain in her just how special it is to be Catholic. And I wanted her, mm-hmm. I told her she could always go to this beautiful chapel, adoration chapel when she needed it. So it was really neat to experience that with her. That is very neat. And also a great thing to teach people because, boy... Is it hard to find those places where it's quiet and you can collect yourself? Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of quiet, you mentioned briefly your book, Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping. For a lot of people who are living with mental illness right now, whatever it is, it's really hard to talk about because there's such a stigma, mm-hmm. maybe there's some embarrassment. Yeah. What brought you to want to start talking about it to the extent that you wrote a book? The Holy Spirit called me to write this book. Now, let me ask you, Michael, have you ever heard the Holy Spirit call you to do something? In his very subtle ways, absolutely. Cool. I'm not always the best at hearing it, but yes. You know what I said? No. Hmm. (laughs) I said, you pick somebody else, Lord, not this girl. But you know what? The Holy Spirit kept coming to me gently. And so I finally said, Mm -hmm. yes. And I had no clue how to write. I was not a writer. I did not want to write another word after college. I was done. Mm, And then I decided, okay, Lord, all right. And I found a how to write a memoir class and workshop. And I bought a book. And I read the book. I took a class. I got encouragement from a wonderful mentor. And I learned that maybe I do like to write, but the main thing was no one was ever supposed to read this book. This was my healing Mm. journey. And when I was finished with it, after years and years and years of writing it, nobody ever thought I was going to finish it. Praise God, I did. I decided maybe this book could help people. It could break stigma and it could bring hope to people. And so that's what happened. It sounds so simple, but also you mentioned it. This was years of preparation and years work, it sounds and like. years. And I have a day job. I am a school teacher. I am an assistant. Oh. Yes, with special ed students here oh, in Las wonderful. Vegas. Yes, it is a incredibly challenging and rewarding job. No doubt. And, and somebody said, oh, you must have the patience of Job. And I'm like, well, that depends on which day you'd be uh, <laughs> talking about. But it's it's amazing job to be able to know that what I do on a daily basis shapes a life. It's really amazing. That is amazing. How has your faith played a role in your teaching and uh, connecting with children? Uh, That's a good question. It was a little easier when I worked a little bit in, well, for about a year in a private school. 
So, you mm-hmm. know, when you're in that Catholic setting, you're free to talk, you know, um, obviously about being oh, yes. Catholic and share your faith. But when you're in a public school, which is where I work, it's so different. You have to lead by example. But it's very interesting because the kids that go to church, sometimes we have the conversations we're really not supposed to have about God. And so it's always interesting to see him working in that way. When kids are asking you about, you know, church or they're telling you about their Bible studies or different things like that. So I I always enjoy those moments. Going back to your book and some of the goals you were having, what has been your experience with the stigma surrounding mental illness? And has your faith helped you to overcome that stigma or at least be able to, as I like to say, to confront it, even if you have to be a little angry about it? Absolutely. My faith has given me the courage to do this, to do mm. God's well. The stigma is so big. It's I've gotten yes. discrimination, discriminated against at jobs. Uh, I wouldn't tell anybody that I had bipolar disorder a good 12 years ago. It was my mm-hmm. quote unquote dirty little secret. I didn't tell my coworkers. And when I did, it was in a whisper, like in a classroom when we were one-on-one. There is so much mm-hmm. shame with this and there should not be. I am a proud woman you know, who who loves the Lord. That's a very healthy attitude. And throw it out to anyone else who's worried about the stigma of even telling your loved ones. What I learned is it was, I've written about, I haven't written a whole book yet. I'm nowhere near that level. But uh, when writing about it, I found that it was very healing mm-hmm. to really confront what was going on. And it's suddenly, it's not just you talking in a way, writing it or mm-hmm. talking openly about it invites the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit rejoices in truth. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more truthful than talking about what's going on. Um, I have to say that the devil was after me when I wrote the book. Sure. Because oh. I actually got sick writing the book and had to stop. Oh. My psychiatrist said, oh, no, no, no. I was having flashbacks racing thoughts Mm. and bad dreams. And I was like, okay, I'll stop for now. And then I gave it some time and I went back because I knew I had to keep going. Like you're saying for the healing journey, I found writing this book was more of a healing journey than the years of therapy that I've experienced. That's impressive. Uh, In what way did you find that? I know this is a huge question, but in what ways did you find that writing was healing for you? I think it was the fact that I could see the hand of God throughout my life, that he has held me from the point that I was a child through all the ups and downs to now. And it's been extraordinary to see that. That is. And that was always one of the things I loved is being able to look back. Sometimes you seem lost, but when you look back, it's like, okay, I had a little more control. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more help and grace in my life than I even thought there was. Absolutely. And the people, you know, my parents are amazing. I wouldn't be here without my parents. Mm. Their guidance, their love, they have sacrificed everything for me. They love me unconditionally. You know, you know the book, one of my favorite ones, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein. Oh, yes. Those are my parents. Classic. Not everyone gets to have the supportive parents, but it sounds like yours were very instrumental. And I mean, you mentioned your mom was a nurse and was able to get you help without having to resort to a hospital. Is there other ways that your parents still play a role now, even today? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My mom and I go 
well, my parents and I, we go to church together on the, a weekly basis. And then nice. my mom and I go to um, Alhambra for a retreat once a year, a silent retreat um, at oh. the Sacred Heart. Uh, my mind just went for a second. Um, the Sacred Heart. Uh, oh, my goodness. That's the nuns. <laughs> like, Sacred Heart. Um, I can't even think of it right now. Carmelite nuns. There it is. Thank you, God. The Carmelite nuns in Alhambra, California. And that is where I actually heard about Sophia Press, as a matter of fact. So that was pretty pretty amazing. I uh, had a conversation. I was allowed to talk in a spiritual Mm -hmm. direction from an 85-year-old nun. And my dream is to travel the world and talk about mental illness and share my faith with people. And I was beginning to wonder if that was ever going to happen. And she assured me that one day that would. And she also pointed me to um, Sophia Press, coincidentally. Uh, I'm so glad nuns know who we are and yes. are hopefully still praying for us because oh, the are. prayers of nuns are very powerful. Oh, good. I love. I rely on the prayers of nuns. Yes. God bless all of them. The Carmelite nuns. It came to me now. Carmelite nuns, Southern California, Sacred Heart, Retreat House. Yes. Okay. Think I've heard of it. Yeah. And to the end, you've talked about you want to travel the world and discuss your faith and the way it's helped you to live with bipolar disorder and get through the daily grind of life. You don't even have to have mental illness to find mm, life hard. I'll tell you that. that but, right. And I understand you're also doing community outreach and support right down in Vegas where you live. Can you tell us how you got into that and what you do? Yes, absolutely. I got another calling from the spirit. Oh my gosh. Again, after I wrote the book to start a mental health support group because there has been nothing my entire life as a woman living with, with bipolar disorder. I felt or I feel that the Catholic church has not really fostered anything for me. So I thought, Hmm, maybe I should be the one to start this. And I got closed door after closed door after closed door. And then finally Mm -hmm. the good Lord opened a door and I was connected with an amazing psychologist who wanted to start a support group at the same time I wanted to start one. And a priest connected us together, and the support group was formed a year ago at our church. I have never been to a support group. I've heard mixed stories. But what's been your experience in running one, and how have people been receiving it? Well, I let the amazing uh, psychologists do a lot of the running and I kind of anchored the group. Mm. And so she's, you know, a professional psychologist. So she's just beautiful at orchestrating everything. And it's just amazing to hear everybody's story. And again, like you were talking about, the stigma is so real. It's a safe place to talk about it because people don't want to talk about it anywhere else. And so they really get a place to open mm-hmm. up and a look into their own lives. It sounds like it could be a place full of really great miracles and stories. (laughs) It it really is. It really is. It's small. You know, we had envisioned, oh yeah, we're going to need two groups. And it's like, (laughs) there's about 10 people. But the exciting part is the same people keep coming back. And that's what makes it almost a family, which is amazing. And it's helping me, you know, it's helping me a lot. 
And then I'm able to help other people. And I just love that. How has it been helping you in your life? Uh, I have been going through a storm in January. My very dear, dear, dear friend and coworker, I have a main teacher that I work under, and she's the main teacher. She had a stroke. She went in for a procedure, and she ended up coming out with a blood clot in her brain. So... God brought her through it. I went to church. I prayed through it and praise God. She's doing awesome. She is driving a car. (laughs) She is doing what she loves to do. She loves to play poker. What can I say? We live in Las Vegas and she is making such an amazing recovery in six months, but it was so hard for me to get through that. It was grief, you know, overnight things that we've worked together six years. So it threw me for a loop. But let me tell you, that support group, along with 30 other people, supported me. And, of course, the Lord, they all held me up during, during that. And I'm on the other side of the grief. So that's pretty, oh, pretty amazing. That is amazing. You know, support is a big thing when it comes to bipolar mm-hmm. and depression and anxiety. Having a, a big support group is crucial. Um. Agree. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. I blog for BP Hope Magazine. It's Bipolar Hope Magazine, and I blog under the name Susie Johnson, not Susan Johnson. If anybody wants to go and and read my blogs, it's a wonderful way to connect with people around the world and to know that you're not alone in fighting mental illness. And I, it's amazing. The people that I've met, the friends that I've met, the families that I've touched through my blogs. Every time I want to like stop doing it, God's like, nope. And he sends me a family member saying, thank you for inspiring me and bringing hope to my family through your blogs. I'm just like, okay, I guess I gotta keep at it. Every writer wants to be able to touch a life, but it's really great when you can do it in a way that Maybe you didn't always have that support and you're kind of, I don't know really the right word for it, but you're making up, uh, giving the love that you didn't necessarily get mm-hmm. to have, but you're now able to give it to people and you receive it back in so many wonderful ways. I love that. Going back to the subject of faith and mental illness, has there been any particular spiritual works or books that you found especially helpful? Hmm. I have not looked into that, believe it or not. It was so busy writing mine and I want to write a second book and I worry, you know, it, I kind of saw another one. It was, um, I think it's Sophia actually uh, published it and it was, it was about somebody's life with depression and the sacraments. And believe it or not, that's my idea for my second book. So mm-hmm. I have not read it because I want mine to be obviously my book. Um, but I, I have heard I, I'm horrible with names, so I don't know the name of the book. But for me, my experiences uh, have been at that Sacred Heart Retreat House and mm. as far as the amazing things that have happened there. I can imagine. As I said, the prayers of nuns are very powerful. So yeah, it's, it's, it's holy all... ground. If you ever get a chance to go, it is holy ground. Those retreats have, have transformed my life. And the peace 
and people are like, well, I can't do a silent retreat. You know, I could never go, you know, with my girlfriends and do it. Yeah, we did it. I did lose the silence over one thing, cake. I wanted the bigger piece of cake. So I told my friend, (laughs) I told my friend, hey, I'm getting that piece. So that was the only, uh, the only, the only silence that was broken, but it's just an amazing, amazing experience. It's getting towards the end of our interview. I did want to ask uh, one last question before we get to the pluggables. What is now your daily practice and your Catholic faith that helps you to face whatever hardships come in your life? Is there, or not even daily, just a regular spiritual practice. We mentioned, we talked about the confession and also <laughs> visiting the adoration chapel. Is there a prayer or spiritual practice you use? I do. I you I am a. Of course, I journal. I journal and I yes. go through the readings every day. So Lex, Lexo Divina. That is my big thing that I, I surrender to that every single day. I put that in my daily you know, schedule and it's very helpful. I've seen my, and I also have a spiritual director, but that's not on a daily basis. That would be nice though. Yes, it would, but it's rare to find until you become a monk. Oh. <laughs> and here we are. Uh, let me just ask you one last thing. Is there any pluggables you have any sites people can visit you on and where can they pick up your book um they can get my book at barnes and noble on Mm -hmm. amazon or any bookstore around the world and i would like to end with this i want to know i want you to know that if you are living with a mental illness that if a loved one is living with a mental illness there is hope there is help and hang on to your Catholic. Amen to that. And we'll definitely be talking about the subject more. We've talked about it a few times on the podcast, but I loved your perspective, your enthusiasm. So Susan, thank you so much for joining us. If anyone is listening today and would like to learn more, you can find us at catholicsexchange.com and I'll have all the links up on our show notes. You can also check us out on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcast. Susan, thanks again so much for joining us and sharing your faith, your courage, and your enthusiasm today. Oh, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I hope I get to come be a guest again.